What's your problem? What's your solution? How do we want our lives to change beyond the COVID-19 virus crisis? That is the question of this special series of camp solutions. A pandemic begs better healthcare policies. Racial tension requires a political response. For years, author and management consultant Meg Wheatley taught governments and big corporations around the world skills for more effective change. Today, she's as much an activist as ever, but with a very different message. Welcome to CAM Solutions. I was going to ask you, shall we take a minute to close our eyes before we begin this? If you would like to, I'm always happy to do that. <laughs> okay, I want to do that. Okay. So my question is, what would happen if in all those big meetings about how to organize the world and how to respond to crisis and whatever's going on, if those meetings would start like you and I are now beginning our conversation? I mean, I will frequently stop a meeting when you just feel all the energy is up here and people are talking over one another. I've often called for a minute of silence just to calm people down. So it's a very good practice. And it works. It works to really get people settled and then able to deal with the issue more thoughtfully. It was most necessary in times of crises, and, and that's where we are. There is a lot of crisis in the world. I mean, we started with a virus, and now we have something that goes deep to America's roots, you know, very difficult to resolve, very difficult to find peace. Um, can we organize ourselves out of this? No. I say that quite with great conviction because my most recent work has been looking at the pattern of all civilizations and the cycles we go through. We live in a, in a cycle-based world, even though our modern approach to things is no constant improvement, constant growth. We can make this all better and better and better. Mm -hmm. But if you look at history, which every historian who's written about civilizations and talks about the fall, rise and fall of civilizations, who talks about collapse, always does it in, in the earnestness of wanting us, this civilization, to be different because we will apply higher levels of consciousness and intelligence and learn from the lessons of history, mm -hmm. and therefore uh, we will be different. But the pattern is so clear, and in the book I wrote in 2017, Who Do We Choose to Be?, I was just tracking where we are, not just as America, although I think we're the leader, as we are the leader in most things, of where we are on this well-defined pattern of collapse. We need to see where we are so that we can be of service to where we are and not waste our time um, thinking we're going to change this. We can change ourselves. That is becoming more and more apparent as a great need. Uh, we, this world does not have the leaders it needs. We need to 
ourselves be those leaders. But where we are in the pattern is so well defined that for me, it's absolutely incontrovertible. And therefore, it redirects me to what I'm doing in my work. You just said, you know, we can't change the system. Okay. But the system is not right. What do we do? Yes, we, that we is can't our... say, I mean, we can't say to a black person, for instance, well, this is what it is, can we? No, we don't say that at all. We say, this is what it is, and I'm going to dedicate myself to creating change where I can. And I'm going to do that because it's the right thing to do, not because I believe or hope that we're going to change the system. I mean, this is a very painful point in history because the suffering is increasing. You, you cited the pandemic. What are the causes of social unrest? Well, there have been profound levels of social unrest in many, many countries. I mean, last autumn, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal chronicling all the different nations which, were, which had public outcries South America, I think it was almost every single nation there was in uprise. We had Hong Kong. We had uprisings in many Eastern European nations and in France. And this social unrest is based on the fact that there is increasing injustice. There is increasing division between the wealthy and the poor. There is increasing indifference on the part of the elites to what what everyday people are suffering and there's ecological disaster now what's interesting about this is this is always true at the end of a civilization this is part of the pattern the last stage has been called the age of decadence where people are focused on entertainment entitlements um, and this is what I really found interesting is at the end of a civilization, people worship sports stars, entertainers, and musicians. And what's so ironic with the pandemic is how we people have lost those three sources mm. of entertainment, you know. Societies develop from high ideals. This is the pattern of history from high ideals, revolution, self-sacrifice. And then as soon as they get successful merchant class, everyone focuses on a better lifestyle, more consumerism, more materialism. It happens in every civilization. And then, then you lose moral values. You lose um, a strong sense of community and we always end up in this place. So again, this is not unique. It's just important to notice it. It's, it's the Roman Empire all over again. It's the Roman Empire, it's the Aztec Empire, it's the Byzantine Empire, it's the Ottoman Empire, it's the Chinese emperors ad nauseum, it's Greeks, it's all of us. But we need to take all this energy that we put in our into our addiction to hope and I'll only do it if it promises a positive outcome. That's our whole culture right there. Um, it becomes an inner journey and it becomes an outer journey. I'm going to work my butt off to create social, positive social change 
better lives, relief of suffering where I am with the people over whom I have some level of influence. And that's a different circle of influence depending on who you are. So, but, so, so going to the streets is really not a solution then? No, it never has been. It never has been because if you go to the streets, look at the Arab Spring. We were all so excited about that, right? Yes. 2011, I think that was. Yeah. And everyone thought this is real change, it's promoted by social media, and look how great it is, and yeah. look where those nations are now. Okay. However, protests are one outlet as long as they're. I've been really going back and listening to Dr. Martin Luther King at this point, because it's very powerful and it's incredibly poignant because he was already aware that the changes had not happened in the, in the five years of the civil rights movement before he was assassinated. We can't stay silent. We must be on the streets in peaceful, non-violent protests. This is not about um, staying home and just saying, well, it's all going to hell anyway, um, or I'll do my little bit. No, there's many places in which our voices are needed, but we, we also have to choose them and not, um, not get so wrapped up in protesting as a symbol and not doing the hard work. I mean, many of us of, of great white privilege can work with our local townspeople, can work with our legislators, and we need to be doing that for sure. What I'm really talking about is how we hold our work. And if we need our work to create large systemic change, then we're just setting ourselves up for despair and cynicism. But if we're holding our work, this is the right thing for me to be doing. I will give it my wholehearted effort. And then we see what happens. We're free of hope, which means we're free of fear. Hope and fear are a duality that is inseparable. I just want people to be clear about what the work is that they can contribute to and get rid of any ambition about, well, I need this to succeed, you know? No, we need to do it because it's the right thing to do. And we do it with more vigor and more uh, stronger voice, more courage. Would it be so that you refer, refer to Dr. King? Uh, he was there, uh, of course, Gandhi in India uh, years before was able to, to do things. I mean, the world changed uh, when they were there. Uh, is that because they were, you know, to some extent better people, if that's the right thing to say? Absolutely. Or did yeah. they have the better idea? So one of the things about taking a historical perspective is you, you have to look at what happens after a great revolution or after a great leader steps forward. Look at South Africa. I'm, quite yeah. intimate with South Africa. So what has happened since Mandela yeah. and the great nation of hope, the rainbow nation of hope? Um, that's why it's just, it, it's a waste of our energy to believe that once a change happens with a great leader, with a great cause, that once it happens, then it's done. No, 
all of history is about these cycles and all of history is about what happens over time. And that's the perspective where we've lost right now. We think, okay, we, we created women's, women's rights. We created uh, an end to segregation. We did it and no one pays attention. And then you look at what happens and this is where we are today. When we face all these crises and when there's so much, you know, people are anxious, where do you find happiness in in You find today? meaning. Okay. You find, I would, I want to introduce two words, meaning and joy. Um, happiness can be quite superficial, but joy is always a consequence of being in a relationship with somebody or some cause or some place where you just forget about yourself. You are not, you are not focused on you. You're focused on a relationship or a work. And I learned this, it always puzzled me. I would interview people post-natural disasters. And in those, um, situations where people were telling me they had gone into an area devastated by fires. They had gone into Katrina, post-Katrina, rescued bodies, pets, people who moved medicine, all self-organized. They were dealing with the most harsh circumstances, right? And they would say that was the most joyful experience of my life, without a doubt. And for a while I was puzzled and then I learned from uh, one spiritual teacher just reading him is that when you're in communion, which is a true uniting with another person or, or the work that you're doing, that is the only time you experience joy. So we have to get over ourselves. We have to not be the center of the universe in order to experience this. We have to be totally giving. And you don't even think about it in these circumstances. So we have to redefine meaning here. And this is very difficult for all of us. I mean, we're speaking as professionals who try to make a big contribution in the world. Whatever is possible, I do know that meaning and joy are found in in these relationships that we have not had time for in really being present for someone, you know, listening to someone. It doesn't sound like enough, but it turns out it's incredibly satisfying. So, so is that virus, is that a blessing then? No, I don't think it's a blessing because we have to think about, I mean, it may be for you and me and certain of the listeners here. It has been a blessing, but for most people, it has been a terrorizing loss of work, loss of a future, loss of not only this income, but future work. Um, and high levels of fear, being stuck at home with people you don't know how to get along with, increased violence. So it has not been a good time for most people. And we are blessed, we know we're blessed, but now the question for us who have been privileged in this way, are we gonna create a life that has more pauses, a life that has more reflection, a life where we focus more on our relationships, a life in which we now take time to stop and ask someone, so how are you? Not, hi, how are you? 
are we just going to get reabsorbed in our work as it as it reemerges? If we could explore, what would be the ingredients of, you know, to live life? What what are, what do we need when we indeed can't force you know immediate political economic change? And you've made it very clear that we shouldn't even try because these are systems that take their their own course. So. But what are the elements of our good life, or as you call it, the right work? What, what, what do we do on a daily basis? You're not even American and you ask me what should we do. <laughs> so I, I want to, this is a great question though, but it's not about what do we do, it is how we be and how we be together. So humans cannot live without relationships. It's been one of the the most severe condemnations of this is lockdown, withdrawal, not being able to be with one another. Because humans only get through things by being together. We've discovered new levels of intimacy on Zoom. We have done that, but it, but not for everyone, for sure. So we need to pay attention to our relationships. We need to pay attention to how willing we are just to take the time. I mean, I hear from so many parents how much they've enjoyed just finally noticing they have children. <laughs> you know, for some it's been a problem with homeschooling, but yeah. to really understand they, their families and what it's like just to be together when you could go out for walks. And so we need to pay exquisite attention to our relationships and how willing we are to be with other people, those we love, those we work with, uh, to be available to them. So that's one big thing. We do not pay attention to relationships in this culture. We pay attention to outputs and income levels and work satisfaction, but let's pay attention to relationships. That has been one of the things we've learned. And the other thing is, the only source of peace, the only source of being able to deal with bad situations and strong emotions, the only source of, of being able to handle that is within us and how we work with our minds. And mind in Sanskrit means heart-mind, and that's the way I'm using it right now. How can we learn the basic fact that whatever our experience, something happens to us, yes, it's terrible, but then how we experience it is our choice. Mm -hmm. Do we treat it as an opportunity to learn? Do we see it for its benefits or do we just become a victim of it? And I think we all have that choice right now. How are we responding to to the politics? How are we responding to the social unrest? And what do we do with our strong emotions? If you're anyone who is awake and caring, then you're experiencing a great sense of grief, great sense of what's being lost, a great, possibly a great sense of anger and rage at our politicians, for good reason, I would add. Um, how do you work with those strong emotions? Well, if you act from them, you've made it only contributed more to the anger and aggression that's out there. We have to learn to work with these emotions, not to push them aside, but not to 
not to work with them of why do I feel angry? I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about I notice I'm really angry. Now, what am I going to do with that energy of anger? All of these strong emotions eat away at us inside. And so to persevere, and the, and the Chinese symbol for perseverance is this combination of two symbols. It's a human heart over which is suspended a knife. So for me, those of us who are doing the work of our heart always have this threat above us. Someone's going to criticize us. Someone's going to defund us. Someone's going to make sure we live a very unhappy life. They're going to come after us, right? This nature of this opposition now, which is just pure hatred, is, is incorporated in that ideogram. But the other thing is, as we're doing the work of our heart, our hearts are cut open and we experience more and more compassion. So I am no longer afraid of my anger. I'm no longer afraid of my rage, which is pretty strong at times. Um, and it gives me a way of understanding people who go out on the streets and throw bombs and beat on police. I do understand that level of rage, but I have more capacity to persevere because I know not to act from that. And I know instead to just wait and and let it pass and then get intelligent again. Okay, what can I do about this given my position, my privilege? Perseverance is a never ending road of always being at risk with this knife hanging over us, but we're doing the work that we really most care about. And um, dealing with strong emotions at this time, I think is one of the critical skills for those of us who want to persevere, which means we don't want to leave, we don't want to retire, we don't want to die off, we just want to be of as much use and benefit to others as possible. We recognize so well that we've been, even in our lifetimes, many of us have been here before so clearly, and, and that reminder is, is challenging. I mean, it feels like, did we make any progress? And there's so many stories about that, and you, you have outlined that we really yeah. didn't, and maybe we can't. If you judge something by its results, I guess this is the historical, if you judge right action by its results, you will never be satisfied with what you did because history, other dynamics beyond our control uh, made that impossible. But if you stay awake in the world and you still have this open heart that wants to contribute, then you find the right work for the right moment. So I don't think it's helpful at all to judge what was right then against whether it was successful or not. It did create a lot of change. Mm -hmm. and many people benefited. I'm speaking of the civil rights movement now. And then other forces came into play. And, and now we are where we are. But I want to, Vaslav Havel, who has written brilliantly about hope as the leader of the Czech Republic and, and just one of the greatest leaders we've had in the 20th century. He said, hope is not the con 
not the conviction that something will turn out well. It is the certainty that something is worth doing no matter how it turns out. So what is the something that's worth doing for its own innate nature, even if we fail at achieving outcomes for it? That is really, and coming from this now 21st century culture of achievement, of valuing yourself based on what you accomplished um, and all sorts of signs of your success there. Now we're down to basics. What is the value of my life? And that's where you could consult any spiritual tradition anywhere in the world. And you would come up with the same answer of just um, being a compassionate presence for other people and not being so wrapped up in ourselves. Thank you very much, Meg. Yes, you're very welcome. In times of crisis, our emotions cry for change in the big world around us, but we can be most effective close to home. As Mac Wheatley quotes Teddy Roosevelt, do what you can with what you have, where you are. This was Camp Solutions. Stay well and see you next time. Camp Solutions is presented by the World Business Academy on behalf of Just Capital. The COVID-19 Corporate Response Tracker of Just Capital is tracking the best practices of corporations serving the needs of their employees and of the communities they serve in this time of national crises. See how the best of America's largest employers are treating stakeholders amid the coronavirus crisis at JustCapital.com.